We are in Judges chapter six tonight, and it is an incredible chapter, okay? So strap on your seatbelts and sharpen up your pencil because we have a lot to cover this evening. Here's how Judges six starts out. It says this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, and the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. It's been 40 years since our last judges, a time of peace, but Israel again sins. Israel again turns their back on the Lord and what he asked them to do, and the Midianites and the Amorites and the people of the east come in. And whatever Israel plants and whatever they tend and whatever they build, the Midianites and the Amalekites come in and they just take it all away. This is always the way sin works. Sin robs us. Whatever it is we're working towards, whatever it is we're building, whatever we've been putting our effort towards, if we allow sin to creep into our lives, it will rob and steal and destroy I heard this pastor give this illustration years ago and it always stuck with me. He said out front of their house was this this vine, this beautiful vine that they'd been working on for years. And they were training this vine to grow up the side of their house and then over in front of their doorway and then like along the edge of this house on a pergola and just had these beautiful flowers and every year they would fertilize it and they would trim it and they would tend it and it was just this thing they'd been working on. And then one year he's out there and and he's weed eating and he's trying to get rid of some blackberries so he's got the big steel blade on the bottom of his weed eater and he comes along and just cuts the vine off four inches from the ground. And he said, sexual sin does that to your family. That's what sexual sin does in a marriage. That's what it does to a family. That's what sin does. The branch isn't dead. God can redeem and God can rebuild and he does that. But all this work and all that effort and everything that you've built into it, it's just cut off at the knees. That's what sin does. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And before we go on to the next section, there's one other thing in here that I just find so interesting because this is... um, The Midianites are different than what we've seen so far, because what we've seen so far is an occupying force, whereas the Midianites, you have a force that will come in, sweep through the land, try to steal everything they have, and then leave. And so what does Israel do? It says that Israel built for themselves the dens and the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. This story in Judges is about 1100 BC. In 1947, we all know this story, there's some sheep herders out probably on the east side of Jerusalem, and they're throwing some rocks up into some caves they see, some strongholds up on the side of the cliff, and boom, they hear some pottery break, right? And they climb up there, and what do they discover? The Dead Sea Scrolls. Probably one of the greatest archeological findings of the 21st century. It's something we still use to prove the authenticity and the historicity of this Bible that we hold right here. Hidden in the caves, dug to keep the people safe from Midian 3,000 years ago. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is it always gives me the perspective of time, of how God works all things together for good to them who love him and are called according to purpose in his time, right? Because so often I'll sit back and I can look at something that's going on in my life and I'm like, I do not see how this is working out for good. 
And God might answer me and say, you probably never will. But I'm gonna work it out for good. I mean, these people didn't have the benefit of the caves and the strongholds, nor did their kids, or their kids' kids, or their kids' kids' kids, but we are today reaping the benefit of how God took something evil and turned it into good. I love that in the Old Testament, the perspective of time. Never forget the perspective of time that God has, right? It reminds me of like the fir- one of the first jokes, I, I wasn't gonna tell this, but it's too funny. So it reminds me of one of the first jokes that I ever learned when I was a little kid. So there's a man who comes up to God and he says, God, is it true that a penny is like a million dollars to you? And the Lord says, yeah, that's absolutely true. And the kid goes, well, is it true that like a second is like a million years? And God goes, yeah, that's true. The kid goes, okay, can I have a penny? God says, sure, just a second. (laughs) God has this entirely different time frame than we do. And when he says things like, I'll work all things together for good, sometimes we have to look beyond the last five years or the last five days or the last week, and we have to look back at stories of the judges at Midian and be like, yeah, that's true, Lord. I see how that works. I believe you, I see that. So cool. So Israel's brought very low, and they cry out for help to the Lord. Lord, we need a deliverer. We need a judge. We need a mighty warrior. We need a hero. And God sends a a prophet. Here's what it says. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The people cry out for a deliverer and God sends a prophet. And when we hear the word prophet in the Old Testament, what we have to think is not necessarily prophecy as in like telling of future events, but a prophet, like someone who would bring the word of God. That's what a prophet did. A prophet brought the word of God to the people. And sometimes in our lives today, we're like, I would like a word of prophecy. Well, we have the word of God. This is where we get so much of the instruction from God. When we cry out and we're very low, We don't need a prophet, we need God's word. We need to come back to this book and we need to see what it says. And so often it's going to say to me exactly what the prophet says to Israel. Because here's what the prophet tells Israel. He says, listen, you need to remember what God has done for you. First off, remember that your God, Yahweh, is a faithful God. He delivered you from Egypt. He led you out of the house of slavery. Remember what God has done for us. You ever sit back sometimes and just be like, I just need to remember what the Lord has done for me. Like, oh man, where would I be without the saving grace of my Lord Jesus Christ? Where would I be if he didn't forgive me and give me new chances day after day after day? Where would I be? Because Israel missed that. They're like, oh man, the Midianites, it's so terrible. And God reminds them, listen, I brought you out of Egypt. You're in the promised land. Yeah, it's not exactly how you wanted it to be, but don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget what I've done. And secondly, the the prophet here says, the word would say to us, don't forget what I told you. It says that I redeemed you, and then I asked you to partner with me. Because that's what Jesus did, right? I mean, God delivered Israel from Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. He said, now go out and conquer the land. I will be with you. That's exactly what Jesus does for me. It's exactly what he does for you. He saves us completely of his own doing. And then he asks us to partner with him and move forward. That's what the prophet says. He says, hey, remember what God did. Remember what God says. And then thirdly, and I think this is important, remember that this is partially your fault. Remember that you have not obeyed my voice. 
So often when I find myself brought low by something and I come back to the word of God, I'm reminded of his greatness, I'm reminded of what he did for me, and I'm also reminded that I probably have a role to play in what's happening in my life currently. It's probably not all out there. Oh, there's a lot of blame to go around, to be sure. But you ever do this? Like, sometimes I can be in a, um, I can be in like a media bubble. I can be in my own space sometimes. People will tell me about current events and things that are going on. I'm like, ah, oh, I had like, I've got three kids. I got a business to run. Like, if I'm reading, I'm probably studying for the next teaching. Like, I'm like this, you know, blinder sometimes. And every once in a while, you pop your head up and you're like, whoa, this is crazy out here, right? Like getting off the freeway the other day to go to um, Chick-fil-A, because it's delicious. Um, and I look on the, and I'm like, what is going on on the right-hand side of the off-ramp? What is with Tent City, right? And it starts to make me mad. Like, oh no, it's the homeless problem, it's the drug problem, and it's Kate Brown, it's ruining our parks, and And then occasionally I gotta stop and be like, okay, when's the last time I did anything about that at all? Like, when's the last time the church did anything about that? Right, because for thousands of years, the church took care of the poor. The church took care of the mentally handicapped. The church took care of those who were in need. And now the state is doing it, and we're angry about the job we're doing, and I'm not saying there's not a lot of blame to go around, but like, what about the church? Like big C church, right? Like the big C American church. Like I feel like we've moved away from outreach and towards like overproduced church services, towards Sunday morning Christianity. And I gotta stand back and be like, man, yep. Maybe I have not obeyed your voice. Maybe I have not obeyed that call to go out and be after widows and orphans. Maybe I haven't obeyed your call to go into all the world and create disciples. Like, maybe there's some, some part I have to play in this. Right, or I can get super angry at the education system and like the super liberal colleges and what they're training our youth and just like, mm. But most of those colleges were founded by Christian leaders to train more Christian leaders. Like, what happened? When did the church stop being involved in education. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so sometimes I look at this and I'm like, okay, Lord. Because I can be exactly like Israel and be like, they're the problem, you need to fix it. When occasionally I might be like, well, maybe I'm the problem and I need you to fix me. I need you to fix us. Because if there's one thing that we, because these are overwhelming problems sometimes. Like I was thinking about this, I'm like, but how do you even start like, how do you even tackle some of that stuff? And if there's one thing I learned from judges, it's this. It's, if we're willing partners with God, it does not take many people to affect great change. Next chapter, you're gonna see Gideon and 300 people do a ridiculous work because they've partnered with the Lord. And I kind of stand back sometimes. I'm like, all right, Lord, maybe this prophecy is for me. I need to remember how powerful you are. I need to remember what you've done. And when I get upset and I, I look around, I need to stand back and be like, okay, what's my part in this? Right, because before I can have a deliverer, I need to know what I need to be delivered from. And so often I need to be delivered from me and my apathy and my lack of action. It's not to everybody. I mean, we have people doing great things and we're here on a Wednesday night and this is not supposed to be condemning. It's supposed to be challenging. Right? I pray that in my Christian life, I'm continually challenged. Right? Caleb, there's no condemnation on Caleb when he takes on the giants, but he's like, I'm ready for another challenge. I was ready for another challenge. And God would say to him, amen, go, go Caleb, do your next challenge. Okay, so God hears Israel. God lets Israel know, hey, listen, like, you guys are the problem, and I'm still gonna help you. How gracious is that? How gracious is that? Yeah, James, you're the problem. And I'm still gonna help you. I'm still sending a deliverer. Amen. I need that. And so God sends Gideon, or God calls Gideon. Gideon, the story we're jumping into now, is gonna cover the next three chapters of Judges. And outside of Samson, it's probably the most well-known story in the book of Judges. And it's incredible. 
What I love so much about Gideon studying it this last couple weeks is Gideon has something for everyone, right? If you want God to place a call on your life for greatness, then Gideon has something to teach you. If you're frustrated and angry with your current situation, like personally or nationally, Gideon has something to teach us. If you feel unworthy to be used by God, Gideon. If you think God might have placed a call in your life, but you're like, I really need to be sure, Gideon. Right? If you've got junk in your life that's holding you back, if you're scared, maybe the calling that you got wasn't exactly what you expected. It's in Gideon. It's in this chapter. It's right here. Maybe you're watching other people do it, and you're like, well, that should have been what I was doing. Yeah. Gideon. It's absolutely brilliant. It even has a what not to do section, which I find super helpful. Okay? So here's what we get with Gideon. God is going to call Gideon. Gideon. This, is, this one's tough for me because God's going to call Gideon to defeat Midian. I'm not, get, I'm, I'm not gonna get that right all night long, I promise you. Here we go. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. The angel of the Lord comes and we find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press which is not where you thresh wheat. You thresh wheat on a threshing floor. It would be up on a high hill and you would oxen and you would trample the wheat and you would throw the, the chaff up and the wind, that's why you did it on a high hill, would blow the chaff away and you'd be left with the wheat. That is the easy way to separate wheat from chaff. Or so I've read, I don't know. I'm gonna have to take their word for it. Gideon's not doing that. He's doing it in a wine press because if he does it on the threshing floor, the Midianites are gonna come and they're gonna take it all. And a lot has been made of this, that Gideon is a coward and that it's totally fine because God's gonna call him and God's gonna empower him and, and even though Gideon's this coward, God can use him. And that's a great way to read this story and it's absolutely true, but honestly, it's not how I read it. Like when I read the story of Gideon, I don't see him as a coward. I see him as a man who's trying hard to provide for his family in the best way he knows how in a tough situation. We need wheat. If I go up there, they're gonna take it away from me. So I am down here doing it the hard way, trying to provide food and grain, trying to take care of my family. Gideon's hard at work. And God comes to Gideon when he's hard at work. And the first thing that I see that I find so interesting is God seems to always show up to people when they're working, doesn't he? Moses is out tending the sheep when God shows up to him, right? When David gets the call to come in and be anointed by Samuel, he's out killing lions and bears with a slingshot, right? When Peter gets the call, he's hard at work fishing, right? Like, like hard at work fishing, you know, like deadliest catch fishing, not like, you know, lawn chair beer cooler fishing, okay? He's working hard. And the thing that I find so interesting is if you want God to put a calling on your life, be hard at work. God comes to us when we're working hard. I really think he does. If you want to call on your life for greatness, get to work. And you talk to people, and I've read biographies of great Christian men and women of the faith who's gone forward and done amazing things, and, and they talk about how God reached out to them and put this calling on their life, and they always seem to be in activity when it happens. I was up in the morning early, praying, and God pressed this on my heart. I was on this mission field, and I was working with these people, and God put this calling on my life to do something here. I was hard at work when God called me. I, don't, I have not read the single biography where the guy's like, well, I was sitting on my couch watching Netflix eating chips. And then the spirit of the Lord appeared 
mighty man of valor. I, I haven't read it yet. I think we just need to be hard at work and God will call us up early, working for the Lord, providing for our family, being a Gideon here, right? And so the angel of the Lord appears to him and he says, oh, mighty man of valor. And then Gideon responds. And you can read his response as kind of whiny, like, Lord, what's going on? This is sad. But I don't. I read it as ticked off, honestly. I read Gideon as frustrated, hardworking, and God says to him and says, oh, mighty man of valor, Yahweh is with you. And Gideon responds and is like, are you kidding me? If the Lord is with me, then why has all this happened? Why? And where are his wonderful deeds? Right? Like my dad told me about him, but I haven't seen any of them. Sure, he brought me out of Egypt, but he's forsaken us. I mean, the Midianites are everywhere. Look what I have to do to provide for my family. This is ridiculous. What do you mean God's with me? Are you kidding me? That's how I read this. And God responds to Gideon. and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel. I think this is so wonderful and so important for us to understand. If we are frustrated, if we are upset, what we need to do is have a really honest conversation with the Lord. Gideon does that. And it seems like all he really needed to do was get it off his chest. And God listens. I don't know why we're afraid to have tough conversations with the Lord when he already knows. It makes no sense to me, but I do it. And when I'm frustrated or I'm upset or I don't think things are going the way that they're supposed to be going, I think I do my relationship with the Lord a great disservice to not just sit down and have frustrated, angry conversations with him. Lord, what is going on? This is not what I expected. This is not how I thought it would go. And to pray through those and to think through those and to spend some time in the psalm. I mean, read the psalms. God's not afraid of our frustration, is he? He's open to it and he listens to it. I think it's so important for us to do. I think it's important for us to wrestle through some of these questions that Gideon asks right here. Like, do you want to be like Gideon called to greatness? Well, there's a few questions you probably should wrestle through in your own life first and know how you feel about them. Do you think God has your back? Do you think God's actually with you? Right? Before you head out on a calling like Gideon, you better know. You better sit down and spend some time in prayer. Lord, do I, search my heart. Do I really believe you have my back? Do I really believe you're with me? Because it's going to get tough out there. And we need to know. And God is ready for those conversations. God is ready for those prayers. God, are you really capable of wonderful deeds in my life? Like Egypt-type deeds? Are you capable of those in my life? Do I really believe I'll see them? I've wrestled through some of those things. And sometimes they come back up and I wrestle through them again and I think it's good. I think it's healthy. Do I have faith that you're working out all things together for good even when I can't see them? Do I believe that, Lord? Because if I don't, that's okay. We need to walk through that. We need to talk about it. We need to pray through that. God will listen. He wants to listen. He wants to walk alongside of us. I think these things are good. I think what Gideon does here is brilliant. And it's healthy. And God's ready for it. And then God turns to him and said this, and I think it's so great. It's verse 14. The Lord, Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. I think God kind of likes Gideon's passion and fire here. It's like, you're angry? Perfect. You got the passion. I got the power. Let's go do this thing. God wants passionate followers. Davids and Gideons and hey man, things aren't always exactly the way we think they're gonna be and we can have those conversations with the Lord and we can be upset and then we can partner with him and God's like, let's go man. You got the passion, I got the power. Off we go. It's so brilliant. And then God says to him, so anyways, sorry, verse 14, the Lord says to Gideon, sweet, let's go do this. Let's, let's go beat Midian. And Gideon responds and says this in verse 15, please, Lord, 
how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So first Gideon's frustrated, and he airs that out with the Lord, and God says, I'm okay with your frustration. God listens to him, and he says, perfect. I'm still ready to partner with you and move forward. And Gideon's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I'm a nobody, okay? I am not capable of these things. I am the least of the least, which on one hand is true, right? Gideon, in his own strength, is not capable of taking down the nation of Midian, is he? But on the other hand, it's, it's not totally true. I mean, we're gonna find out here pretty soon that Gideon's got 10 servants and a couple oxen. He's not a poor man. He's not without resources. But I think he actually has the proper perspective here. He's like, Lord, are you sure you've got the right guy? Like, I'm not bringing much to the table here. And I think it's so great what God does. God doesn't disagree with him, does he? God's like, God doesn't say, you know, buck it up, little camper. You can do it. I believe in you. You're so much better than you think. Nope. God's like, God doesn't say, you know, you just need a, some self-affirmation books. You gotta speak good things into your life, Gideon. That's said, don't send negativity out into the world, Gideon. It'll come back to you. You just gotta send. God doesn't say that, does he? God just says, but I'll be with you, right? Like, but I'll be with you. It's like this. So let's say I'm walking into the all sports park and uh, I see two guys and they're shooting hoops and they're like six foot three young guys. They're doing alley-oops to each other. They're hitting three pointers, swishes, and they look over at me and they're like, hey man, you want to play a game of two on two? Like who my partner is, is really going to matter, right? Right? If I look over and like I'm hanging out with Matt Heverly, like we're probably going to lose. I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Heverly's got a great fadeaway, but I'm not bringing much to the table, and uh, we're going to lose, aren't we? But what if I look over and standing next to me is Michael Jordan, circa 1987, the year he averaged 37 points in every NBA game, and I look at Michael and I'm like. I don't know, dude, I'm not much of a basketball player. And Michael goes, don't worry, dude, you're with me. Just stand over there, do what I tell you to, try not to get hit in the face with a basketball, right? Like all I have to do to win is step out on the court and do what I'm told, right? That's what God says to Gideon. That's what God says to me. I go, Lord, I'm not capable of doing that thing you've called me to do. And God's like, yeah, but I'm with you. Like, I got no jump shoot. I got no crossover. I got no defense. Dude, just stand over there and do what I tell you to do. We got this. We got this. I'm with you. But I'm with you. You know, it's so interesting in the, um, in the elders meetings, we'll have people come in periodically and they'll, they'll tell us, hey, I've got this vision for this ministry at Edgewater and like, they lay out this vision and it could be so awesome. And so we'll look at them and be like, awesome, go do it. How can we help you? And oftentimes the response is like, no, 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 I, don't, I, want, I want you guys to do it. Like, no, this is your vision. This, and, and people say, well, but I, I don't have the skills. Like, me plus God versus you plus God, there's no difference in the equation there, right? Like the common denominator is God. That's what matters. If God's with you, you're as capable as anybody else in this room. You're gonna win. Just step out on the court and do what you're told and you're gonna win the game. It's so great. But I'll be with you, God says, and you shall strike the Midianites as if they're just one man. So cool. So Gideon now, he's still a little pumped up, but he's, he's still cautious. Gideon, you know, he starts out being kind of ticked and then he moves on to being like, okay, I'm, I'm not the guy, but now he got a little bit, he's like, all right, well, God's with me, but um, I, wanna, I, I wanna make sure you're really, you're really God because otherwise um, we're probably gonna lose. And so he says to him, verse 17, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present. Gideon asks for a sign. 
And I think this is totally fine. I don't have any issues at all with Gideon doing this. I think it's brilliant, actually. First, Thess- First Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 tells us this. Do not quench the spirit, which Gideon's not doing. Do not despise prophecies, which Gideon's not doing, but test everything and hold fast what is good. If God has asked you, or you feel like maybe God has asked you to step out into some crazy adventure or some big life decision, maybe you're dating someone and you think, this is the person I want to get married to. Maybe there's a ministry opportunity. You feel like you're being called to move or change gods or change gods, jobs. Don't change gods. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) I'm going to have a drink of water now. You're deciding to adopt a child or get involved in foster care, right? Big decisions. It is good to ask the Lord to confirm those in your life. And it's good to do it the way that Gideon does it here. Because Gideon's going to do it again at the end of the chapter, and at the end of the chapter, he doesn't do it so well. But here, it's brilliant. Look what he does. He says, verse 18, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an epoph of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat, and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of Yahweh. And Gideon said, Alas, O Yahweh God, for now I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. But Yahweh said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abizarites. Gideon asks for confirmation from the Lord, and then he puts time and energy into his relationship with the Lord and waits patiently for God's answer. All things he is not going to do at the end of this chapter in the famous, you know, fleece gate incident that we have coming up. But here, he does exactly that. He says, Lord, I'm going to put some time and energy into this. I'm going to make you a meal. I'm going to sit down and spend time with you, and I'm going to wait patiently for you to answer me. This is the way we seek confirmation from the Lord. When I have big decisions to make, when my wife and I have big decisions to make, we pray, we fast, we discuss, we pray, we fast, we spend time with the Lord and with each other, and we wait patiently for God to confirm. Not without action. We don't sit on the couch and watch Netflix sitting patiently, right? We spend time and energy in our relationship from the Lord and wait for him. There was this time in my life, in our lives, where we felt like we were called to the mission field for like short-term mission work. And so we said, okay, Lord, like we're gonna put time and energy into this thing and we're gonna wait patiently for your answer. So we just kind of started walking forward in prayer, in discussion, and just started pursuing these things. And, and we, we found an organization out of Pennsylvania that we thought maybe we'd go into the mission field with. And so my wife and I got on a plane and we flew back to that organization and, and we spent a week back there with them. And it was so interesting because there was all these people getting ready for these short-term missions or some of them for long-term missions. And so they'd be like, where are you guys going? We're like, we don't know. They're like, well, why are you here? Because we feel like God called us to the mission field, so we're just walking forward. And they're like, but you don't know where you're going. Nope, not yet, but you're still going. Yep, we're still walking forward. 
We're still walking forward and we're still praying and we're waiting patiently. And ultimately, while we were on that trip, God confirmed, this is not the organization we want you to go with. And so we flew back home and we still look back at that trip as like this pivotal moment in our Christian lives where a lot of people would think it was a failure. Lost time, lost money, lost energy, flew across the country, found out it wasn't what you were supposed to be doing. But we look back at it and be like, that was a great moment in our marriage with the Lord. When we walked forward faithfully, and the answer he had for us was no, go that way instead, and it was wonderful. And we were so built up by it and encouraged by it. And when you're looking for confirmation from the Lord, just spend time and energy. It's never wasted. And wait patiently for him to tell you what to do. He ended up sending us to Africa, to a mission field, to a church that we're still intricately connected with, with Edgewater. I've been back four times since then. It's, it's amazing what God will do when we hear from him and we're patient and we listen. And then when Gideon gets his response, he stops and he worships. Thank you, Lord. That is from you. I'm gonna build an altar. I'm gonna take some time. And I'm gonna worship. So beautiful. And then Gideon gets his first assignment. That night, the Lord said to him, verse 25, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of it, of the stronghold there, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Okay, you gotta play this thing out because to me this is such an interesting turn of events here because Gideon is hard at work, right? And then this stranger comes along and he's like, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon airs all of his grievances finds out it's the Lord, gets this awesome confirmation where this meal he made is set on fire. He builds this altar. He's all pumped up. And I just see Gideon is like, all right, Lord, what are we going to do? What are you thinking, Lord? Are you thinking like, like a Jericho thing? Because like I got a trumpet and we could like march around the Midianites and we'll blow. No, no. All right. Well, okay. How about this? Like I'm going to go to the chiefs of Midian. Okay. And I'm going to tell them that you're gonna kick them out of the land, right? But, but they're not gonna believe me, obviously. And um, I'll, have a, I'll have a stick, and I'll throw it on the ground, turns into a snake, freaks them all out, what do you think? No? Could we just do the locust thing? It's always, it's always a, a winner, right? And what does God say? Hey, Gideon, you know that ox you have? The one that you use for treading wheat and for making your family's food and for tilling the ground, the one that your dad owns? You know that ox? Yeah. I know the ox. You know that pole behind your house in the altar? Yeah. I want you to tear down the pole, burn it on the altar, and sacrifice the ox. What? Sorry, Lord, I think, sorry, it's a little, little bad reception here. You want me to ride an ox and hit Midian with a pole? No, 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 Gideon, I want you to tear down the pole and sacrifice the ox. Bummer. Bummer. That is, uh, it's not what I was bargaining for, Lord. That's, uh, that's, not, that's, not, that's not defeating Midian. <laughs> that's not what we talked about. That's not what I was expecting. That's right in my backyard, right? And God will always do this with us because before we can deal with problems out there, we've got to deal with stuff at home. But you have to get this. This is super important. God doesn't wait for Gideon to clean up his own house before he's called to great things. Once he's called to great things, God says, it's time to clean up your house. And we can think that those orders are reversed. Like I've got to get all my stuff cleaned up and I've got to deal with everything in my life and then God will call me. Or God calls us and we're like, I can't do it. I've got all this junk that I have to deal with. Like I'm not worthy of this. And, and God says, no, that's going to be our first assignment. We're gonna take care of stuff right here at home. But Lord, that's not big. I wanted to do something big, like important, like glamorous, hero-like. God says, no, Gideon, 
no James. We've got to build up to that. Okay, you're not quite ready for that yet. But Lord, this is, this is, this is potentially pretty embarrassing for me. Like this is my family. This is, this is in, in our backyard. Like, no, Gideon, don't be embarrassed of me. This is what I want you to do. But Lord, it's gonna make my friends really mad. They're gonna hate me. In fact, I'm pretty scared to go do this. Yeah, Gideon, that's, that's what I want you to do. And on top of this, like just on a practical lever, level, do you know how much work this is? Like, dear goodness, tear down a giant stone altar and build another stone altar, cut down a, a pole. It could have been a pole or it could have actually been a grove of trees. Saw them down, right? And they don't have like a skill chainsaw. Like you're not firing it up in the middle of the night. You know, they're out there, right? Not what I bargained for. And then kill an ox and cut it up into pieces. This is dirty, bloody, hard work that God is asking Gideon to do. And we focus so much on this thing that like Gideon was scared, so he did it at night. I'm like, dude, you did it. Good job. You did it. I, Gideon did it. I think this is so important for me because as I walk with the Lord and I ask him, hey, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to be spending my time and energy? What's this thing that you've called me to today or this hour or this week or this year? And if it's not glamorous or if it's not what I expected or if it looks like it's going to be a lot of hard work, like Gideon, I need to just, just do it. I need to just do it. Because there are no small acts of obedience when it comes to our walk with the Lord. All acts of obedience are big acts of obedience. God asked Gideon to do something here and Gideon obeys. And I pray I would be just like that. One of the quotes that I read about this, which was interesting, is it said, because it it's about this thing about Gideon going and doing it at night. And the quote said, it appears that heroism was optional, but obedience was mandatory. I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. Obedience is mandatory. God calls Gideon to something that's really tough, and Gideon does it. And God rewards him for it because there are no small acts of obedience in our lives. So he does it, and there's fallout. It says, when the men of the town rose early the next morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was offered on the altar that had been built. Just as he said. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. And Joash said to all who stood beside him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam, which is to say, let Baal contend against him because he has broken down his altar. People in the town wake up the next morning. They look up. They see what Gideon's done. They're ticked. They want to kill Gideon. Seems like Gideon was right to be a little bit afraid. And then Gideon's dad steps out. And I gotta put myself in Gideon's dad's shoes for a minute because what we always have to bear in mind as we read through this chapter is that we were read this prophecy in, verse, in the first verses on purpose. The, the author has it here on purpose because it's what these people would know, right? In verse 10, God says through his prophet, you have not obeyed my voice. Joash knows what that means. Joash knows that it was his job to tear down the pole behind his house. And he comes out in the morning and he looks up and somebody else did it. His son did it. And Joash could have been embarrassed by this. He could have been shamed by this. But instead, he says, all right, you called me to that. I didn't do it. You did it. Now I'll come alongside you and I'll join you. I think this is important for me to understand. 
Because there's times where I feel like God's called me to do things in my life and I just haven't done them and I see someone doing them and I can be embarrassed that I wasn't the one who did it or I can be like, hey, God called me to that too. How can I help? How can I partner? How can I be involved? Joash comes right alongside Gideon and this had to have been so encouraging for Gideon. Man, this had to be encouraging. It is so encouraging when you're in ministry and people come alongside you and they support what you're doing and they walk with you. Such an encouraging thing. And then Joash says something that's absolutely brilliant. He looks at all these people who are angry and he asks them a question. Hey, you're mad that we tore down the altar of Baal, that my son Gideon tore down this altar. But you have to ask yourself, is Baal really worthy of your worship? If Baal was really a god, couldn't he have stopped Gideon? If Baal really had power, would he have let this happen? Is Baal really worthy of your worship? This is such a great question for me to ask myself from time to time. Because we're all worshipers. The Bible says that God built us as worshipers and we're all ceaselessly pouring ourselves out, our time, our energy, our resources, our hopes. That's worship. And sometimes I gotta stand back and I gotta ask myself, where am I spending my time, my energy, my money? And how's that working out for me? How's that working out for me? I've never met a Christian who served God faithfully, like to the best of their abilities, who walked through difficult times, and who got later in life and regretted it. I never have. I've never talked to that man and had him say like, man, I wish I had just spent more time in bars getting drunk. (laughs) But go sit next to an old man in a bar getting drunk and ask him about their regrets. Was that worthy of their worship? Because worshiping God works. Walking with the Lord works. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. It's fruits of the Spirit. It works. I've never talked to someone who's been married for 50 years and walked through the hard times that so many marriages have and stuck it out and is still with their spouse who says, man, that wasn't worth it. But I've met so many people who've train wrecked and decided to walk away and give up who are like, man, I don't have a relationship with my kids. I don't have, it's worth it. Is what you're worshiping worthy of your worship? Because God is the only thing worthy of our worship. Everything else will let us down. Joash asks a brilliant question to the crowd there today, and he asks it to me today too. Is what I'm worshiping worthy? Am I giving my all to the Lord or am I giving it to something else? Because that something else will always let me down. Verse 33, now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizarites were called out to follow him and he sent messengers through all of Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him and he sent messengers to Asherah and Zebulun and Naphtali and they went up to meet him. Gideon sounds the call. God's people respond. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the ground, dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. This is the story of Gideon throwing out the fleece. We have all heard this story, and I've even heard Christians use this term when they're looking for answers from the Lord. I'm just throwing out the fleece. Throwing out the fleece. When we're reading the Bible, especially Old Testament narrative passages, stories, We need to be really careful about what is prescriptive, telling us how to do something, and what is descriptive, 
telling us how something was done. This story of Gideon throwing out the fleece, this is not prescriptive of how Christians should find out what God's will for them is. Gideon doesn't spend any time or energy in this. He doesn't wait on the Lord. He gives him a time frame. And his faith is low. This is not prescriptive of how we're supposed to seek God's guidance. This is descriptive of how patient God is with us, even when we have lack of faith. That's what we're supposed to learn from this. We don't do things like, well, if someone calls me at exactly 7.43 tomorrow night, then I'll know I'm supposed to. No. No. Gideon, in verse 34, it says, is clothed with the spirit of God. You don't need a fleece. You have God's spirit. God's spirit will confirm in you. God's spirit will answer you. God's spirit dwells inside of you. And even when our faith is lacking, God is so, so patient with us. That's what we're supposed to learn from the fleece. Gideon's such a cool story. I just feel like it has something for me, for us in every stage of my life that I've been in and I walk continuously through. Like, I'm just supposed to be hard at work and it's okay to be frustrated and I'm supposed to discuss those things with the Lord. And no, I'm not qualified. I don't need to be, right? I'm with him. That's all the qualification that I need. And when he asks me to do something that's difficult or frustrating or embarrassing or lots of hard work, I just do it. I just do it, and I walk in faith and watch what God will do. Wait till you come back next week and watch what God does. It's brilliant, amen? Father, I thank you for this story of Gideon that encourages me. Gideon is flawed. I am flawed, but you are perfect. And your strength, Lord, can be made perfect in my weakness. I thank you for reminding me of that. I thank you for the fleece, which reminds me how patient you are with me. Lord, be with us this week as we go. Be with us as we walk faithfully, listening for your calling, waiting for your confirmation, spending time and energy on our relationship with you. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.